morning. Our reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're reading verses 1 to 16. I couldn't help thinking back uh, when I was looking at the little young Kelman family here today, and it was only just a few years ago we had a young family. Excuse me. <laughs> And the struggle it was to get those kids ready to come to church every Sunday. And Jackie and Rob are involved in so many different aspects of the church and they really do need our support. We've pledged it, but they really do. And um, yeah, you will remember dragging your kids to church, sorry, getting your kids ready and bringing them to church. Uh, it was a struggle and uh, they're going through that at the moment, but loving it. First Samuel chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. David was afraid, sorry, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. This is God's precious word. Thanks, Nigel. And um, sorry, I forgot to mention a little bit earlier that the Kelman family, if you might recall from last Sunday, have warmly invited us to join them for lunch. If you've come prepared with your own meat, they're 
providing salad and drinks and bread, and that's going to be out um, in the hall and in the grassed area. So thank you for that lovely invitation. I uh, really encourage you to stay and be part of that. Well, if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, just to fill you in, um, a couple of weeks ago we started a new series kind of covering sections of First and Second Samuel, looking at the life of David. The, the series of the title is called After God's Own Heart, and we're sort of examining um, King David in the Scriptures uh, with a view of, of, you know, how do we see Christ through David? Because um, David is, is mentioned so often in the New Testament and kind of is the origin of the Messianic root, um, Jesus being the Messiah and the root kind of meaning the origin. So from the line of David of Bethlehem, Jesus of Bethlehem is born. And so it goes. We've covered chapter 16 last week, chapter 17, and today we're fresh on the heels of chapter 17 in chapter 18, and, uh, and in chapter 18, we kind of see the continued um, rise of David and fall of Saul, or demise of Saul, you might say. And basically, the, from chapter 18 right through to the end of 1 Samuel, as chapter 31, um, every subsequent chapter is a little bit like a hammer. Um, just knocking away at the wedge between Saul and David. It just keeps getting bigger and stronger. And uh, the contrast or the comparison between those two characters could not become uh, greater. And um, so we're fresh off the heels of David defeating Goliath. You might recall right at the very end or the close of chapter 17, David finds himself uh, back in the battle tent with Saul, who's the captain or the leader of the Israel or the Israelite army. And we're still in that tent, if you like. So we're still in the, the closing scene from chapter 17. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. There's quite a lot we learn in this passage, particularly about the friendship and the covenant between Jonathan and David, which is well known and probably one of the most significant friendships or sacrificial friendships that we see in the scriptures. Um, now, in, in this chapter, we saw in those first few verses, we see that David moves physical location. Uh, and this could also be another reason why at the end of chapter 17, we see Saul inquiring about David's heritage, uh, who his father is. And maybe this is because Saul wanted to not ask, but tell Jesse that this young son of his was now going to be coming to live permanently with him as uh, a resident in his household, not only as his minstrel, a medieval musician, uh, but also as one of his chief military warriors. But by the end of chapter 18, David will not have only changed physical location. Uh, in fact, he will have become part of Saul's family. He becomes very good friends, best friends, covenant friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. But by the end of this chapter, uh, David will also be married to Saul's younger wife, Michal. And so quite a lot of change happens for David and for Saul, indeed. And there's a lot 
in this chapter about family and about friends. And as I mentioned, the story of, of Jonathan and David is well known. It was a deep and abiding friendship. And uh, one of the things that is significant about this friendship is the covenant that is made between them. Now, um, I mentioned a couple, or I mentioned twice now that in chapter, we're first introduced to David, the character of David in chapter 16. And that's where our series began. But obviously there were a preceding 15 chapters. And we do learn a little bit about Jonathan in those chapters, particularly in chapter 14. We learn about Jonathan and his character and the type of person he was. And that actually helps us see why this friendship between Jonathan and David was forged. Um, We get a little bit of insight here into the character of who Jonathan was. So in 1 Samuel 14 verse 6, we read this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised Men. That means men who are not part of the covenant, God's covenant with his people. Uh, Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Uh, Subsequently, Jonathan goes on to single-handedly defeat 20 Philistine men by himself. Uh, So what we can see is that, like David, Jonathan is a military um, legend, a military warrior that, is, that has kudos amongst the troops, uh, but also has runs on the boards, military speaking. Uh, also, we can see from this passage here that he clearly has a, a love and a deep regard for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we can see here the parallels between David and Jonathan. And it was obviously these two things. So, as we, as we start out at chapter 18 with Saul and David in the tent, and Jonathan perhaps was in that tent as well. Um, David having defeated Goliath, uh, and doing so in the confidence and the strength, not of his own ability, but of his faith and trust in the Lord. Um, We can see the clear bond that forged between David and Jonathan um, was grounded both in their shared experience um, of, of battle, but also, more importantly, their shared love for the Lord. Now, in terms of the covenant, um, those first four verses of chapter 18 are a little bit like a summary statement, if you like, of the relationship between David and Jonathan. Um, it's, it do, we don't get the impression that there and then in Saul's tent, the covenant takes place and Jonathan gives David his robes and, and weaponry in that very moment. That is a little bit like a summary statement. And then as the subsequent chapters follow, a lot more of that detail gets filled out. For example, in 1 Samuel 23, we hear a little bit of the content of the spoken covenant. So here's something of that covenant. Don't be afraid, he said. This is Jonathan speaking to David. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. He will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. So we see here a little bit of the content of the covenant. Now, a covenant is a significant thing. It, it, it means contract. Uh, for the modern mind, that probably makes a little bit more sense. It means it's a contract. They entered into an abiding contract with one another that bound them 
together. And a biblical covenant required three things. It required a sign, it required a sacrifice, and it required a spoken commitment. Now we see with Jonathan and his covenant that he makes with David, the first sign that he offers David is essentially, as this painting shows us, his crown. Uh, Jonathan was the eldest son of Saul. Saul was the king. So Jonathan was, in fact, the heir to the throne. He was the crowned prince. And in this culture, in this society, the clothes that you wear make you the person. And Jonathan was in the royal family. He wore royal clothing. And so he literally takes off his, his tunic, his gown. He takes off his weaponry, his bow and his belt, and he gives them to David. And what he is effectively doing in this moment is kneeling before David and saying, you, not me, are the rightful heir to this throne. That is a remarkable sign and a remarkable sacrifice that Jonathan will give up his rightful heir to the throne by seeing within David the type of person who, was, who God was preparing to become Israel's leader. That's a, and here's a little bit more of the, the content um, in chapter 20 of the covenant. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. Do you know who David's greatest enemy is soon to be? Jonathan's own dad. So what he's saying in this moment is basically, my dad's going to need to die in order for you to become king. This is the depth of friendship. This is the depth of covenantal bond that is shared between Jonathan and David. It is significant. And I've spent a little bit more time on that this morning because um, we won't be covering any more of Jonathan and David as our series moves forward. Um, so those sort of chapters, particularly between 18 and 23, is where the relationship between Jonathan and David is kind of fleshed out. But it's a significant relationship uh, in the life of David. Let's keep moving on with chapter 18. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye 
on David. It's in these verses that we see the inner workings of Saul's heart. Now, we the readers know what's going on for Saul. Um, We know that Saul is becoming increasingly jealous of David. And in many regards, rightfully so. (laughs) Rightfully so. Saul was still the, 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 the crowned king of Israel. And it would appear that David is becoming increasingly popular. Um, and, and Saul obviously has a real complex with his ego. He, can't, he doesn't like anyone being more popular than he is. And as I mentioned at the start, with David's ever-rising popularity and success that we see in chapter 18 and on, uh, we also see a rising sense of jealousy and envy that emerges Within Saul. And that jealousy is in fact going to drive Saul to try and murder, to try and kill David, his soon to become son in law. Verse 10 The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the liar, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded, that means dodged. David dodged him, if you like, twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Um, As I read this verse over and over, I'm actually, um, I find it fascinating to think about these two contrasting instruments in the hands of our two primary characters, Saul and David. In David's hand is a lyre or a harp, a stringed instrument. And in fact, for Israel, the harp was the primary instrument used for worship. And so in David's hand is a stringed instrument used for worship. And yes, David was a warrior, but I think the harp so beautifully summarizes and describes the type of person and character and heart that David had before God. David was a worshipper. Saul, on the other hand, was becoming increasingly fearful and jealous and afraid and envious of David. And so in his hand, we see a spear, a weapon used to kill, to destroy. And again, here, there is a significant contrast between what is in the hands of these two characters. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Uh, The rest of chapter 18 is basically concerned with David's wedding to Saul's younger daughter, Michal. Um, And it starts out with Saul offering David his eldest daughter, Merib, which actually Saul kind of, that was one of the carrots that Saul had held out to the man who defeated Goliath was the hand of his eldest daughter, or the hand of his daughter, which would, of course, be his eldest daughter to start with. In chapter 18 from 17 on, Saul kind of tries to um, 
stretch this deal out and basically sends David to war and says, if you, again, um, are victorious in this battle, then you can have the hand of my older daughter. We actually see the humility of David by saying, there is no way, there is no way, basically, a shepherd boy, a nobody like me, can become a son-in-law of the king. David actually rejects the offer of Saul's eldest daughter. But then we read that Michal, Saul's youngest daughter, she actually loves David. And Saul thinks here is a great opportunity to get rid of David. So he basically sends him into battle and, uh, and says, if you can get, it's pretty gruesome, but a hundred foreskins from the Philistines and bring them to me, that'll be your bride price for my wife. And David says, I'll go you one better, I'll bring you 200. And uh, the two end up happily married. Um, and that's how that sort of works out. So we see it in that remaining part of chapter 18, the, uh, Saul's plot to try and murder David. Obviously, firstly, he tries to kill David with his spear. And secondly, he sends David into battle, assuming and hoping that he will die. Um, but David has continued success over the Philistines. I know that's a little bit of a gruesome detail. Um, uh, so that's kind of what's happening in, in one Samuel 18. And just these last verses here, um, again, just really help summarize the, the conclusion of the chapter. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met, was met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. So, the continued rise of David, the continued fall, but also the inner jealousy and rage and envy of Saul. What we're looking at here is, is a narrative, it's story. And again, as I mentioned last Sunday, we're, we're, we're looking at one segment of a bigger story, but we can see what the narrator is doing here. In this chapter, he continues to compare and contrast, particularly David with Saul. In this chapter, we see how loved and how respected David is. Um, it seems as though everyone in this passage loves David. Firstly, there's Jonathan. Then there are the women uh, who sing the songs of David. There are the troops. Um, there is Michael and Michal. Uh, everyone, and it even says everyone in, in Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful, the Lord was with him. Everyone, that is, except his now father-in-law. And that contrast could not be more um, pointed in chapter 18. There's the division as well that, that is being caused. There's family division. So we now have a father who hates David, but we now have his two his son and his daughter are intimately connected with David and we see the family division and it's interesting to think about division because David foreshadows Jesus the Messiah and Jesus the true Messiah of Israel brought significant division um, and here are just a couple of three verses in John that all speak of Jesus's division amongst people most significantly is probably the passage in Luke. These are the words of Jesus. And in fact, they're really difficult words of Jesus to process. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. 
three in favor of me, and two against, or two in favor and three against. These are not words that you would write on a card to someone. They're not words you see on an inspirational poster about faith. But the harsh reality is that the Messiah divides. David, the Messiah of Israel, divided. There were people who loved him and there were people who hated him so much so that they wanted to take his very life. Now, the life of Jesus also divides. Some people will follow Jesus. They will give their life and allegiance to Jesus. Others, and we see this in the Scriptures, will hate Jesus so much they will even plot and execute his own death. The Messiah, like it or not, is a figure who will divide. In this passage, we see success and attack. The word success is used several times. On four occasions, we are told in chapter 18 of David's success, and that is directly tied to Yahweh's presence with him. And as we read this chapter, and as I read this chapter, I I, I become overwhelmed with the amount of success that David has. I must confess that at an initial reading, there is something within me that says, I want that type of success. I want that to be said of me. Hang on, the Lord is with me. Great, I can be successful. Don't quite think that's what this is all about. But isn't that the human nature within us? We want to be successful. We want to succeed. We want to have favor and popularity with people, as we see David having in this text. And I think the human in us wants to read ourselves into that text and wants to experience the same kind of favor and popularity that David had. That that was my initial reading of the text. But perhaps success is not all that it's cracked up to be. Because in the very same chapter where the author is highlighting the success of David, which I might add is particular to his messianic role. David is someone who God has very specifically chosen and set apart for his purposes. And so the success and the rise of popularity that David receives is significant to his role. One of the difficulties we have, I think, with the church and with modern Christians is that we want to take these kind of promises uh, for certain individuals in the Bible and apply them to our own lives. So God was with David. God gave David success in everything he did. God is with me. Surely that means God will give me success in everything I do. And this is part of the root of the kind of prosperity gospel. And I actually want to teach against that because God gives David success because of his role. You and I don't have a messianic role. Messiah means saviour. We don't have a role of saving. We're the saved ones. So we have to be really careful with how we use and apply Scripture to our own personal life circumstances. But it's interesting because we live in a world that just promotes success. 
the world says you, you want to be successful. Like to be successful, to prosper is a really good thing. So then when I read a scripture that says David succeeded in everything he did because the Lord was with him, there's something within me, the, the worldly aspect of me goes, wow, even God wants me to be successful just like the world wants me to be successful. Do you see what I'm saying? And we get sucked into a false doctrine of success. And so we have to be really careful with that. Um, But as I mentioned, I don't think success is all it's cracked up to be. Because while there is success, there is also attack. In these very same verses that speak of David's ever-increasing popularity and success, there is also attempts to take his life And so perhaps we should be very cautious about pursuing success. Success in God's eyes will look very different to success in the world's eyes. When we are being successful in God's eyes, however, there will be attack. There will be significant spiritual attack. When we are following God's will, when we are doing the work of God, we ought to expect and anticipate spiritual attack, which is what we spoke about in 1 Peter. Finally, the covenant. I mentioned that the covenant required three things, a sign, a sacrifice, and a spoken commitment. And here's the beautiful thing that we see with Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah. And God made a covenant with us through his son, Jesus. The sign was sending his son. And similar to Jonathan giving up his robe and essentially bowing down to David and selflessly handing him his rightful crown, Jesus selflessly took off his heavenly garments and put on the worldly garments so that he could come and live amongst us and he could make a sacrifice of his life to a holy God to reconcile a sinful people. And the spoken and we see um, in 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that God loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. What I was going to highlight there in verses 3 and 4, you may not have noticed this, but the covenant that Jonathan made with David was completely Jonathan's initiative. And Jonathan made a covenant, verse 3. And Jonathan took off the robe, verse 4. Jonathan did not make a covenant with David because of anything David had done or David's response. It was his initiative because he recognized that David was God's chosen one, God's set apart, God's anointed one. And in the same way, God makes a covenant with us, not based on our response or anything we've done, but because of his sacrificial love for each one of us. The sign was God sending his son. The sacrifice was Jesus' atoning death on the cross. And the spoken commitment 1 John 4.15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. 
We see the covenant of Jonathan and David, but we also see the covenant that the Messiah makes that is applicable to each one of us here today. My friends, if you don't know Jesus, he came and died for each one of us. He took our place so that we could stand before a holy God and God would not see our sinfulness, but he would see the righteousness of Christ. And the invitation is for all who would believe to put their faith and trust in Jesus and to receive life now and eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word again this morning. We thank you for yeah, just the things that we've observed and learned through 1 Samuel chapter 18. Lord, we just want to thank you now for Jesus because ultimately that's what this is all about. It's pointing us to the role of the Messiah and the selfless sacrifice that he made so that we might experience life with you, the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God. We give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that that has been the reality for Rob and Jackie, and we pray this morning that that will become the reality for Judah. Lord, we pray that it would become the reality for all, uh, for all people here. And we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.